This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The first reading is from Isaiah, the 42nd chapter. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. Holy wisdom, holy word. The second reading is from Acts, the 10th chapter. Peter began to speak to Cornelius and his household. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem, They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Holy wisdom, holy word. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the third chapter. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, 
Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Today we hear of the baptism of Jesus, and baptisms certainly are something that we are familiar with. We have all been to or participated in or at least seen a baptism. And so now Jesus comes down, gets baptized by John. They take pictures and everyone goes out for lunch. And Jesus gets on with his ministry. But it is worth remembering in this scene that John is a prophet. He is the first prophet to emerge in many years. And prophets never just do stuff. Prophets always have that flair for the dramatic. They use everything that they say and do to get across the message, to get across the word that God has given to them to speak. And so when John comes down to the Jordan River to begin his baptisms. It is not by accident that he is doing baptism, and it's not by accident that he comes to the Jordan. The Jordan carried the weight of mythology and promise. The Jordan was redolent with history. And so by coming down to the Jordan, John brought all of this other stuff with him. The Jordan runs from north to south, right through the middle of the promised land. It follows the course of a rift valley where the Arabian and African plates come together and grind the earth down. It flows from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is the breadbasket of Israel, a fertile area providing all sorts of fish and wildlife. But the Dead Sea is an aquatic wasteland. And so the Jordan represents that passage, that connection between life and death. But it also marked a political and spiritual boundary. 
It was at the Jordan that the people finished their wilderness wanderings. They came out of the chrysalis of that formative time and came into their identity as God's chosen and holy people in the land. It was on the banks of the Jordan that Moses prepared them for that passage by instructing them in the law and telling them, choose life, choose life. It was on the banks of the Jordan that the mantle of leadership fell from Moses to Joshua to bring the people in. It was also on the banks of the Jordan that the mantle of prophetic leadership fell from Elijah to Elisha. All of this hovers in the background of this scene. The journey of the Exodus began with the parting of the waters of the Red Sea in a story that most of us are familiar with. But we are perhaps not as familiar with the fact that the journey also ends with the parting of water. As Joshua brings the people across the Jordan, the waters part for them to cross over. The water also parts to allow Elisha to cross over the Jordan. The water also parts to allow Elisha to cross over the Jordan. All this parting of water, it just got me curious if there were other religions or traditions that had these kinds of stories of the parting of water. And I couldn't find one. This seems to be unique to the story of the Israelites. Why this aversion to getting wet? Well, it might be that the very act of creation is defined as a parting of the waters. God begins that act of creation by by pushing apart the water to create the firmament, this dry area in which everything else could come into being. God separates the water again to create dry land and oceans. And indeed, in everything else God creates, it's an act of of division between this and this, this and this, this and this. Because in the Hebrew cosmology, water was all around. It was like a bubble around creation and always threatening to break back in. Creation was not something that God did once and then went off to Disneyland. Creation was something that God did every day. It was by the will and word of God that this space for creation was maintained. And so humankind was forever dependent upon that action and that word of God for their being for their continued existence. When God seeks to 
in essence, uncreate in the flood. God withdraws that power, withdraws that word, and we are told that the the windows of the heavens open, the fountains of the deep gush forth, and that chaotic water breaks in once again, bringing death, which for the Israelites was synonymous with uncreation. Creation was life. Uncreation Chaos was death. And so perhaps it is that the Israelites bring this understanding to the waters and salvation is something that once again parts that water, once again makes that division, once again makes space for something new to come into being. When John comes down to the shores of the Jordan, John is looking for a new creation. He is preparing the way for a new exodus, a new promise, a new destiny, a new future for the people, which would be ushered in by this one who was coming after him, And so when John and Jesus meet on the banks of the Jordan, it is a scene carefully set. It is a scene that hangs heavy with potential and possibility. One of the things I love about uh, iconography, like we see in the Eastern Church, is that the way that they depict some of these scenes, we are allowed to see some of this stuff that isn't obvious. For instance, in the image on the cover of your bulletins, that's one from the Eastern Orthodox Church, you see two little creatures in the water beneath Jesus, and they are fleeing away, representing the waters of the seas and the waters of the rivers, fleeing away from the creating God. And you might also see Jesus standing on two planks representative of the cross under which are snakes, representative of death, that somehow in this baptismal act, death is being defeated. But one rather odd thing about this image is that it shows Jesus not in the water, but floating above the water. Once again, seemingly exhibiting that hydrophobia, that fear of getting wet. And in this, I think, we need to look deeper. Because this act of Jesus' baptism here cannot be separated from the act of Jesus' baptism in Holy Week, a connection that he clearly makes to his baffled disciples. Only then, Jesus will not float conveniently over the water, but will go down into the water. 
will go all the way down. Jesus keeps telling his disciples that he has to suffer and die and be buried in order for his work to be done. And so it is that Christ goes all the way down into the water, beneath the waves. The psalmists often describe death as sinking down to the bottom of the sea. And the exodus that Jesus ushers in is not the expected exodus that John is looking for that would mark a new beginning of the land of Israel, a new destiny for God's chosen people. Rather, there at the bottom of the sea, in the depths of hell, Jesus begins a new exodus by parting the gates of hell and by bringing sinners out and leading them to new life. In 1 Peter, in the third chapter, there's a wonderful little passage where it talks about this act of Jesus going down into hell. It says that the ones that he goes to speak to, the ones that he goes to free, are precisely the ones who didn't listen to God's word at the time of Noah. Precisely the ones who didn't get on board, literally, with God's plan and therefore perished. But now Christ goes to them and in an act that we are told becomes the figure of baptism. There in the depths of the waters of death, Christ brings them forth in a new exodus into life. This baptism is the same baptism that we all share in. In this baptism, we go down and meet our deepest mortality, meet our deepest fear. We face off with all of our limitations, and there and only there are we set free. There we meet our greatest foe and find that that foe has fled away and we are led through that wilderness into a new being in the reign of God where death is no more, where there is no more need for baptism, where all of creation settles into that oneness and wholeness that Christ wins for us. We are baptized into a specific place and into a specific time. We are baptized on specific shores, this community, this congregation. And with that gift of new life, we are invited to go out and to show it to others. To show that we no longer need be afraid and that therefore they need not be afraid anymore either. That we can give ourselves away in service, in love, in generosity, 
in a way that becomes possible only when we are no longer afraid. Only when we have had our own taste of the reign of God. Amen.